As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Right now, and this is a joy, John and Lisa are going to talk to Vincent Reinhardt of Dreyfus and Mellon, their chief economist, about the moment at hand. He's a little concerned about communication at the Fed. But I want to talk about the communication at the beginning of the panic. Reinhardt and Reinhardt, Carmen Reinhardt, your wife, who's at the World Bank, wrote the mother of all essays of this pandemic on the pandemic depression. And we are now, Vincent, at a point where, as you said then, the global economy will never be the same. If I may, can you expand on that and tell us how this global economy will never be the same as we are now somewhat out of this pandemic? Well, let me first admit where we were wrong. Back then, we were worried that there would be a long, dramatic, and persistent decline in output, and that was because there'd be insufficient policy stimulus. And policy showed up. W worrying about policy stimulus was, was uh, uh, not that relevant, and, that, and that's the really good news. But what's the other key message? That is economic dislocations, whether it's a recession or a dis depression, leave lasting scars. They leave lasting scars on balance sheets. <laughs> they leave lasting scars on people. People act differently right. coming out of severe economic dislocation. So let's go to Lawrence Summers and Olivier Blanchard and talk about hysteresis, which is when you're out of the system, you never get back. Are we so much out of the system that you have to mark down GDP and the Fed maybe will be more dovish because they will have to mark down due to our pandemic hysteresis? Well, a big lesson, and by the way, Tom, what is the most costly uh, uh, thing coming out of a recession or a depression? It's the lessons you take away from it, because that influences how you think about behaviors for the next so couple decades. So we're all decades. depression babies like uh, our parents. Exactly. Is that what's going on? Lisa, you're too young for this, but Reinhardt and I grew up as depression. We had parents who were depression babies. It was terrible. So that's really exactly where I wanted to go. When do we start to see consumers pull back, especially given the fact that it seems like Target and perhaps others are not able to pass along the price increases as, rapid, as rapidly as they'd like? Uh, another message of what of the paper Tom was talking about is it, the shock was very regressive in incidents, i.e. it really hit low-income uh, families harder. So when you talk about the consumer, you got to ask who's got the wherewithal to with, withstand a slow patch in the economy. Uh, remember, probably there's still about $2 trillion of excess savings 
uh, socked away, given all the government uh, programs in, 2000, uh, in 2021. Those households will be able to ride out the shock. However, lower income households are going to have a harder time and, and we are going to see some pulling back. But what's the key metric right now that tells you households aren't really that worried about recession? Saving rate is low. If people were worried about their income prospects, they wouldn't be spending so much out of their income. Which might be a good thing. It might be a bad thing, especially because the quits rate is going up, too. So it's not exactly as though people are particularly concerned, but maybe they should be, is what some people are saying, especially as they forecast the potential for recession out in 2024. When do gas prices become recessionary? When do oil prices higher uh, actually become disinflationary rather than inflationary, as some people are projecting? So I think the person asked is Jim Hamilton of uh, UCSD, who's done all done the, the important work on oil prices and economic uh, <coughs> uh, 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 business cycle. And the plain fact is, when oil prices move away from where they've been for a while, when they get salient in household decisions, when they really get your attention, mm-hmm. that's when they, they, they matter for economic activity. And guess out, guess what? We're long past that point. Yeah. It is number one concern among households. It's got to be uh, crimping household yeah. spending, particularly for those who, hit, who, who get hit harder, lower-income households. Vincent Reinhardt, Jerome Powell is not going to show up, as you, I'm sure, Coach, Alan Greenspan to Humphrey Hawkins or whatever it's called now and say, frankly, I don't give a damn. But it is a gone with the wind market. You say Scarlett O'Hara is sitting at the Fed table where tomorrow is another day. Is it a day with too much communication? Is this a Fed talking way too much versus a silence in the halls when you were there for 24 years? Well, I'm trying to date myself, but I will admit one of the formative books uh, coming into the Fed, which was the big, uh, big, big book of the late 80s was William Grider's Secrets of the Temple that talks so much about Are how- they talking too much now? Lisa yeah. gets up and does our brief here. Uh, John, we're in a quiet period, right? We are. No Fed speak. Tom, no Fed news. speak. Do you want that? Do you want a permanent quiet period? No. Except for Chairman Powell? No. Uh, you, you got to listen to the chair. There are opportunities for members to talk. Part of the genius, if it is a genius, of the construction of the Federal Reserve System is to let a diversity of opinions uh, flourish. And if there's a diversity of opinions, you want to hear that. However, it's not helpful when everyone's talking and everyone's reading the same page of the hymnal. How much information did you get from Fed speakers over this intermeeting period? What they told you was the summary of what would appear in the minutes and that Chair Powell already told us in the press conference. What I worry about is their communication strategy uh, is fractured. Gradualism, what they're doing right now, we're going to do 50, we'll do 50 for the next couple meetings, is about very near-term guidance because tomorrow's another day. Listen to Chair Powell at the press conference. He doesn't want to talk about hypotheticals and doing things in the future. But then they publish the summary of economic projections that gives a sense of where interest rates are going to be five years from now. Uh, It's it's, it's not, not consistent. I'm afraid to ask this. Let's go with it, Vince. John, have you seen Gone with the Wind? I haven't, Tom. Not really my style, those kind of movies. You, you know, you know, we're it, out of time, too. And by the way, you, you're exactly right. It's not politically correct Can you see Lau Brainard turn to Chairman Powell and go, Sir, you are no gentleman. No. Vincent Reinhardt, thank you. That would, Tom, you've got to keep an eye on the clock. 
I you're out of time. Vince knows more about the clock than you do, apparently, which is why we're he stopped talking. Gone with the wind. Oliver Chen with us, senior equity research analyst at Cowan. We usually talk to him about fancy sweatshirts at Celine. Not today. We talk Target. And we note that he teaches at Columbia Business School on retail as well. Oliver, I want to talk about the reality of Target, which is the Chloe ankle strap sandal is usually $16, $17. And you can go in there and for the kid, buy it for $13.59. If they lower that puppy down to $11.99, will they sustain the traffic that you say is required? Well, Tom, what we have here is the consumers repositioned very quickly. So we had a cooler April, unfortunately. Anniversary the stimulus was also an issue. And these markdowns taking place now are critical. Speed is the name of game in retail, and Target is doing that now. The consumer shifted faster than they expected in terms of the consumer going out, requiring suitcases instead of swimsuits, and big and bulky in home. That's been under pressure, too. Uh, so doing this quickly is, is a positive action, and markdowns will occur in the marketplace now this quarter. We're looking forward to a better back half, and Target and others execute well for back to school. Back to school should be pretty good. Um, we are seeing a bifurcation in the consumer. On the one hand, uh, there's lots of savings on the sidelines, but the consumer, the lower end consumers under plenty of pressure, specifically the under 50K household income as inflation takes hold. Oliver, this is what we want to talk about. You've touched on it in a couple of ways there. Has the strength of the consumer changed or is it just the basket that has changed or is it both? What is it? It's a, it's a little bit of both, John. I think the consumer pivoted faster than retailers could plan for. Uh, so retailers had to be very quick and agile. In the case of home product and big and bulky, that's a very long lead time category. So it was difficult to shift. And Target and Walmart had executed so well through the pandemic, really stocking up to offer great customer service that this change was faster than expected. What's really next? We still see a very strong luxury consumer. We also think a consumer focused on value, such as Planet Fitness, Grocery Outlet. Those are great ideas. And then, Tom, as we think in themes, our second major theme is health, wellness, and beauty. As you know, we like Ulta a lot. And then thirdly, digital platforms like Revolve. It was nice of you to mention, Tom, when you started talking about health and beauty (laughs) there, Oliver, and, and not me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Oliver. Let's talk about Target a little bit more. Yeah. And I want to talk about whether we should write down the quarter or write down the year. We touched on this a little bit earlier this morning. The stock's down 7.8%, but that's about the pain in the quarter. And arguably an investor right now that's just spooked, lost confidence in any guidance this company provides. But they are still looking for a bounce back in margins in the second half of the year. Now, Oliver, I want you to help us understand how doable, how achievable that actually is. When they're looking for 2% this quarter, that's the damage, and they're looking to get back to 6% in the second half of the year. Yeah, Target has assessed the situation. where They're out with that press release today, and what will happen is these markdowns and markdown reserves will drive the top line. Um, we've been in a volatile situation with the compares and what's been happening with the consumer. Uh, but this should be a good glimpse into what's achievable and doable and a reset, um, which was needed in terms of what they're seeing now. Um, so looking forward, the, the fixture is on unemployment. Unemployment's still very low at 3.6%. That is something we're going to monitor you know, as a risk factor to retail at large. 
Uh, but now the consumer is going out again, and this portfolio and the markdown should be in the right place. Target has unique vulnerability because keep in mind, grocery is about 20%. It's about 50% at Walmart, um, which has led to a little more stability in the Walmart numbers and guidance. Oliver, how much does this challenge the model that came out of the pandemic where a lot of companies, in particular retailers, were building up inventories to avoid getting caught up in supply chain disruptions? Yeah, Lisa, what we liked about the pandemic in terms of retail is curbside pickup, these sortation centers, the integration of Omni. Um, those will be powerful tools for the long term and also Target and Walmart running marketplaces. Uh, so there is a, a lot of positives that came out of building a better mousetrap yeah. for the long term. Oliver, real quickly here, and we love to talk to you about luxury all the way on down to Target. We don't make light of it. It's really important. Could you explain to me why a sweatshirt at Target is $15 and a sweatshirt at Celine is $890? Explain that. Well, Tom, the, the magic of retail, we teach it at Columbia, is magic and logic. Luxury goods really has a lot of emotional components that go into the good. And retail is about a willingness to pay model when it comes to apparel. What we also see happening is re-commerce and this move to sustainability. I'm here in Europe. It's a very big, important topic. So, Tom, I'd encourage you to look at resale. You'll get that Celine sweatshirt I can. for 30 to 40% off. Yeah, but what I know, John, which is so true, is they both shrink in the wash, which is my problem with Celine. Are you are well aware of my well, particular you can predicament try Dior. with that Celine Dior sweatshirt. Now, Oliver, it's what happens when the other half wants to wear your sweatshirt and deliberately shrinks it. Yes, <laughs> This in happens. the dryer. That, that's what happens. That's what happens. That's what happened. Right. Oliver Shannon Coward. Thank you. Oliver, thank you, sir. Has the other half confessed to deliberately oh, no. doing it? We all, we all know why she did it. Yeah, I mean, we all know no, why she did just, it. Has she I, defended I haven't herself? Since. No, she laughed. She knows why it happened. So there we go. She's happy. Good for her. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Lizanne Saunders joins us now, Chief Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Lizanne, let's get out front. Surveillance needs to know your mid-year update. What is it? Not quite as gloomy as what the year ahead uh, outlook for 2022 was in December, but that's in large part given that we're pretty well into a bear market here, certainly for NASDAQ and Russell 2000 and pretty close for the S&P, a lot of churn under the surface. So um, some of what I think the market is uh, facing has been priced into stocks, maybe not yet the extreme. I think phase one and phase two were about tighter financial conditions, tighter liquidity environment, 
inflation rates. Phase two was reflecting the uh, weakness in the economy, which, of course, was witnessed in the first quarter. Now, I think we may be in a phase that the market needs to price in a, uh, a change in the profits outlook. Um, nothing, nothing dire, but I think this may be the first quarter that we start to see a noticeable right. hit to profit margins. And, and what's important here is a separation of profit-making enterprises from those that are not. What happens in a bear market to nonprofit-making enterprises that have a story? You know, you and I used to call them story stocks. Mm-hmm. What happens to story stocks given the lovely mood we're in? Well, maybe the question, Tom, is what has happened? If you look at non-profitable tech, which has been a really popular area of the market, um, Goldman Sachs has an index, you can find it on Bloomberg, that that had at its worst um, a 72% drawdown. So I I would argue that that's not really a perspective thing. That's We've been living in massive drawdowns across the spectrum of these narrative-driven groups of, of story stocks that really represent the ultimate in a long duration uh, pick because they have no profits right now. So you're you're investing in them based on the hopes for profits. And in a at a 40 year high in inflation with with the Fed as aggressive as it is, I think there's been a shortening of duration on the equity side as well. And and I don't think other, other than maybe some trading lifts in called these lower quality segments of the market, I don't think that's the bet investors should be making at this point in the cycle. So what should the bet be that investors are making right now? Quality. I think sort of a quality wrapper. I think the factors that have had consistency and leadership, and I think at least near term will continue to have consistency and leadership, would be things like strong free cash flow yield, um, strong balance sheet, cash rich balance sheet, low uh, debt. In this more constrained earnings revisions environment, positive earnings revisions. So uh, all of those have that quality wrapper around them. And I think that's still the approach that investors want to take, even if there are those trading maybe opportunities in the very short term down the quality spectrum. There's a fight right now in markets and among strategists around whether people are being too bearish or not bearish enough with respect to the economic outlook, whether the idea of recession is a likelihood or an outlier event uh, that could come down the pike. Where do you stand in terms of how investors should think about this, how much uh, potential alpha they should give up hanging out in safety and hedging against some sort of recessionary circumstance? Well, uh, you know, my answer leads to that question, if we were at all time highs, recession versus soft landing would probably be different because I think at that point it would make a big difference. Given the the, the pain we've already experienced in, in the market, uh, especially under the surface, even in the case of the S&P at the recent lows, the average drawdown across the 500 members was 30%. So I think the question of recession, no recession, maybe matters a little bit less right now in terms of ultimately what the downside for the market is. Yes, you can look at history, bear markets with recessions down in the low right. 30s on average, bear markets without, you know, mid-20s, but there's a wide range around uh, both of those. Um, I, I don't think that assuming we, we're going to get a recession, and that's always the better bet if you use history as a guide in tightening cycles. I, I don't think it suggests an 07 to 09 kind of recession. There aren't so many massive imbalances, even if how continues to falter. It doesn't take the entire financial system down with it. This would mm-hmm. be the more typical end to a cycle. Uh, but again, I, the fact that the market
market has suffered a lot already. I'm not sure it makes such a huge difference in terms of where we go from here. Lizanne, talk about use of cash and talk about profit-making companies that have announced share buybacks. Do they speed them up given the drawdown that we've seen across NASDAQ, SPX, and Dow? Do they, do they complete their buybacks quicker to announce more? Um, well, you have seen a, a pickup this year. And what's interesting is it's not just among the S&P companies, but you're seeing a recent pickup in buybacks um, down the spectrum, down the cap spectrum into the Russell 2000 sphere. And uh, Tom, as you know, when you look at insider buying or selling, insider selling is, is less valuable an indicator because they can sell for lots of reasons. It's the buying. So you've got insider buying and now buybacks. Um, as an attempt to help boost the, the profits picture. And, you know, on, in net, that's a positive for the market. And could it accelerate? Sure. So, Lizanne, people used to say that companies would borrow to buy back their shares. That's kind of out the window right now, given where the rates are, uh, to borrow money, at least for the vast, vast majority of companies. But when do they actually have trouble raising cash on another level? Deutsche Bank came out with a note this morning talking about an increase in defaults and a return to a higher default cycle. Do you see that as a likelihood? I, I think we're going to start to see more uh, trouble. When, when people talk about uh, spreads in the credit market, they, they often think of it in level terms, but I think it's direction. So maybe at 7% or so, that's not uh, egregious. But when it's up from 4% and you were maybe on the marginal end of the spectrum having trouble financing foreign change, it becomes much more difficult even with another couple percent. So I think that's also has the potential to be more of a story in the second half of the year. One final question, Lizanne, what's the sweat factor among retail right now? What does Charles Schwab see in terms of flows in and out of equity? Um, we've seen pretty steady flows into ETFs, the passive side. Uh, more of the outflows have been on the mutual fund side. What's interesting about that is we actually have equal weight doing better than uh, than cap weighted uh, right now, but not a lot of panic. Uh, we, we, we saw sort of capitulation on the attitudinal side of, of sentiment, a lot of fear, a lot of angst and concern, but it really wasn't matched on the behavioral side. And as is almost always the case with, with our investors, if they have what we call an advised approach, if they're disciplined, they have strategic asset allocation, they're disciplined around that using uh, you know methodology like diversification and rebalancing, they tend to ride through tough environments more so than the, call it the wing it uh, traders. The wing it traders, we like that. Lizanne, thank you. Lizanne Saunders there of Charles Schwab. Right now, we migrate to fixed income, and we do it with Mark Cabana. He is head of U.S. Rate Strategy, Bank of America, writing a very wonderful sequential note on what is to come for price and yield. Mark, let's get to the philosophical first. You say this is a Fed that is dovish at its core. Are they going to blink? Not yet. Um, we do think that they're dovish at their core because ultimately what the Fed is trying to do here is achieve that elusive soft landing. It's going to be difficult for them to do so, but they know that that's what they're after. And as a result, once they get rates into the range of 2 to 3%, which is 
their perception of nominal neutral, then they're going to probably think about mm-hmm. slowing things down a bit. That's very consistent with our view right. that the Fed will be delivering 250 basis point hikes in the next two meetings, but then ultimately downshift to 25 basis right. points. Maybe disappoint a market that seems to be believing the Fed is going to go more aggressive. Away from your sophisticated trades, our viewers and listeners are hammered by yield up, price down. And you say, you, you say have the courage to own duration, get out there and get in the game. How exactly do you get in a game where on full faith and credit, you have a drawdown of a negative 12%? Yeah. So we think that what investors should be doing here is recognize where we are in this economic cycle. We're in the later innings of this. We're going likely to see an economic moderation and a tightening of financial conditions, which is exactly what the Fed needs to see in order to bring inflation lower. And as that happens, what investors should be doing is they should be looking to diversify out of risk and into safer assets that typically benefit when we are in these late stages of an economic cycle. And as a result, that just means diversifying away from equities and credit into more safe type of fixed income alternatives. And we do think that that's going to benefit the U.S. Treasury market as we get to levels around 3%, maybe slightly above 3%, because it makes it increasingly easy for investors who are managing multi-asset portfolios to diversify and make sure that they get some protection in case we do start to see a more rapid economic slowdown. Which is a reason why we've seen buying come in uh, around that 3% mark, uh, mark. I am wondering about your interpretation of what we just got out of Target and this real margin compression that we're seeing and how that really feeds into the Fed's view. Does this encourage them to keep going with rate hikes because of how much the consumer is feeling inflation or does it actually point to something more like a slowdown and give them more breathing space? Well, they know that they have to get inflation under control. And likely one of the challenges that Target is having is trying to manage around inventory, recognizing that costs are rising and that they need to pass along some of that to consumers. But knowing how much they can pass along, how that impacts inventory, and then trying to figure out how their demand is going to be impacted by that is a very, very tough calculus. And so for the Fed, I think that they recognize, look, they are missing on their inflation mandate. They need to get that under control they're going to be hiking reasonably aggressively at at least the next two meetings and then probably guiding the market to expect further rate hikes. Now, what that's going to do is it's going to help tighten financial conditions, cool demand. And we do believe that that will ultimately increase demand for fixed income as investors allocate, again, out of risk and into safer assets. When you're coming up with a call for the Fed and these macro proclamations about where the bond market is going to go, how much are you looking at the resilience of the consumer on the ability to absorb some of these price increases and frankly, their willingness to continue to spend? Yeah. Um, So far, we've been uh, very surprised by the resilience of the American consumer. Our firm's credit card data does indeed show that there's been a lot of resilience, um, especially on the low income spending cohort. We're watching this carefully to see if there's any cracks. But right now, we haven't really seen them. And that just makes us more confident that the Fed is going to be delivering these hikes. They will be slowing down later this year, but they're probably going to go in our base case beyond what the market 
market is currently pricing. Not necessarily getting there super fast, but um, in the second half of the year, really in the third uh, and fourth quarters, begin to slow down these pace of rate hikes. And ultimately, we think get to a level that's about 20 or 30 basis points above what the market is currently pricing at around three and a half percent by the middle of next year. I look, Mark, at where the yield is right now. And the simple issue is we've popped above a 3%, 3.02% on the 10-year yield. What's your view out one year on that? I mean, if somebody needs to know a single point, be of a guess. Yeah. So look, our forecasts have the 10-year at the end of this year at 3.25%. It's a single point in time estimate. It's awfully difficult to have a lot of confidence around that. Um, but we do think that there's a you know, modest further upside in yield from here. Now, that said, we've recognized that um, given how the market has recently behaved, the risks are probably skewed to the downside on that forecast. Interesting. And even though we think that our forecast is slightly above where the market is today, that doesn't prevent us from believing that duration is not a bad addition to investors who are looking for some protection, again, against that economic moderation that is likely ahead of us. Hey, Mark. Awesome. As always, Mark Abana there of Bank of America Global Research. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight. From the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.